Welcome to Voices, a podcast from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. Here, we're seeking to elevate the range of perspectives on the role of business in the world and in people's everyday lives. Hello, my name is Francesca Fairbairn, and I work for the Institute for Human Rights and Business. And today, on World Maritime Day 2020, I'm talking to Jacqueline Smith who's Maritime Coordinator for the International Transport Workers Federation. And as you can imagine, Jacqueline has been extremely busy in the last six to nine months particularly, although obviously before that as well, working on seafarers' rights, but particularly in the last six to nine months because of the plight of many stranded seafarers, anywhere between 300 to 400,000, depending on which figures. It's very difficult to know exactly how many. But these are seafarers who are unable to be repatriated because of COVID restrictions in port or because their ships have been abandoned by their operators. Not even thinking about those seafarers who have gone home and now have no work and are unable to go back to sea. So, hi Jacqueline. Hi Francesca. Thank you for Uh, having me. Oh, thank you so much for talking to us. I know how busy you are. So perhaps... If you could just give us a quick introduction to um, ITF's work in general, but in particular in the last six to nine months on on what Bloomberg has described as the worst shipping crisis in decades that puts lives and trade at risk. So the ITF is a global union federation and our members are national transport workers unions around the world. So we have uh, unions uh, all over the globe. And of course, any of our maritime unions um, that represent seafarers, um, of course, uh, dockers, uh, workers in navigation, and also fishers. Our focus, of course, or my, my responsibility are to assist those unions to assist their members. Um, the work that we do is, of course, on a global level to try to coordinate and assist um, affiliates with having best practices where they can uh, learn from each other in this crisis that we've been seeing that is turned into a humanitarian crisis especially when it comes to seafarers but also fishers we see that there is just such a a complete lack of coordination amongst governments and we have been working very hard with our social partners both uh, those within the the joint negotiating um, group and also with uh, the international chamber of shipping to try to get governments to coordinate and facilitate crew change so that there is a safe corridor for seafarers to safely uh, be repatriated and for new signers to to come on. Um, We have got a lot of verbal uh, confirmation from UN agencies, so ILO, IMO, even the UN uh, Secretary General went out in support. Uh, The Pope came out in support for seafarers and fishers. And uh, we've had other organizations do so. The same with your organization has come out in support of, of seafarers and say that crew change needs to, to start happening. Mm. But still, it's just been one step forwards and two steps back. It's, uh, it's almost as if every time we feel that we've made um, progress, then it reverts back again. And, and we see that you know, 93 countries have uh, ratified or has ratified the MLC, which is enforced. 97 is actually ratified, but 93 uh, is the, uh, the Maritime, Maritime Labour Convention. Yeah. Labour Convention is enforced for. 
And in that, it does say that seafarers should not be working on board more than 11 months. And we're receiving reports of seafarers who've been on board 17 months and some even 19 months. So even before the crisis started, it means that they were in breach of the Maritime Labour Convention. And our question is, governments who ratify, implement international legislation, how can they so easily just put that aside, those regulations aside, those rights for those people aside, just to keep trade going? You know, they want the cargo, but they don't want to take the responsibility for the humans. And so, um, as I touched on at the beginning, this, the, the, the cause of this is partly ports not letting crew off because of nerves about spreading COVID, partly ships being like, I understand that there are bulk carriers being parked off the coast of EG Singapore with skeleton crew on board just waiting for the price of oil to go up, for example, or, or their ships that have been abandoned? No, just sort of left outside port for various other reasons, not able to go into port. Is that right? Yes, we have, we do, we have seen an increase in uh, abandoned crew, meaning that uh, the ship owner or ship manager is completely uh, not communicating, not providing even provisions, um, we've seen an increase, especially in the Gulf states, uh, around the Gulf states. Mm. Now, there are various flags, various uh, com- uh, owners of companies from various countries, so it's not one specific, but we have seen an increase because most likely they've gotten into financial issues and they just have just washed their hands of it and, and run away. So our inspectorate, we have about 140 inspectors worldwide. They've mm. been functioning as like a lifeline for the seafarers they've been functioning as travel agents they've been functioning as uh, as almost consulate to staff to try to get them visas um trying to get them uh, provisions so food and water and even fuel because they've just been abandoned so it it is a dire situation and it's not getting any better even though there are some trickling um, movement but it's just not sustainable and it's funny that you're having the world the world's maritime day <laughs> with the theme sustainable shipping for sustainable planet but how can shipping be sustainable if you're not sustaining those workers on board and their rights so um, either you or i referenced earlier on the joint statement to governments from the head of the ilo unctad the international organization for migration the food and agriculture organization high commissioner for human rights un global compact international maritime organization etc 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 calling on governments to address this issue but from our perspective as the institute for human rights and business i'm wondering what you think is the itf businesses can do how they can use their leverage um, and businesses whether they be charterers customers ship owners even investors with shipping portfolios who own ships how can they bring their influence to bear to alleviate this situation i think that you know, anyone who, or any business or individual who is able to gain the, the attention of governments, and it's not just one department because it has to be a coordinated approach from departments, because we have the, you know, we have transport ministries understanding the situation, but then you're having health departments or ministries not wanting to, or having the responsibility to protect the, the citizens in the country, and then you're having you know, issues with uh, immigration and border control and just interior infrastructure ministries. So it's, it, if businesses can say, 
and because everyone has most likely the ear of some kind of minister someplace yeah. be it trade be it health um, because they provide uh, medicine be it energy because they're you know they provide fuel or or oil and gas and to raise it and say that this needs to be resolved and join us in pushing this forward and also going to those companies, um, the shipping companies and, and asking, have you been able to have you been able to exchange your crew? Have there been new crew been repatriations? Um, don't penalize companies for deviating from their normal route or their scheduled uh, route, because we have seen companies saying, no, we want you to have make sure that your crew are not on board longer than uh, 11 months, but you can't deviate, you know, and if they need to deviate or if they need to stay in port, then don't penalize those employers for having to do so because they're doing so to make sure that the crew on board are uh, not fatigued and not stressed because they've been on board for 12 months plus and don't know when they're going home. So customers and charters, for example, are, are saying we need our products now in port and they need to say they need to be a little bit more, give more leeway to ship owners and operators with the understanding that they need to change crew somehow. And also presumably there's a cost involved and additional cost involved in changing crew who sometimes maybe have to be repatriated through three or four countries if there are certain exactly. ports that they, they can go through. They need to share the responsibility. You know, they, they, if they, it's costing everyone. This is costing everyone. So you want your products, you know, you want uh, things to continue to move. Then you also need to take responsibility on, onto the seafarers and say, okay, yes, we sympathize with them, but just as long as, as our goods continue to be transported, then we're fine. I, I read a statistic yesterday in, uh, I think it was an article on Bloomberg that said that if shipping were an economy, it'd be the sixth largest economy in the world. So it is an enormous enormous contribution to the global economy and therefore everybody needs to bring their influence to bear whether they be asset managers with large ships in their with large number of ships in their portfolio they are also responsible for looking at the ships that they own and seeing what is going on on those ships and one of the problems with shipping is it's invisible it's on the high seas you don't you don't see these people you just get your your petrol in your car or whatever but you don't you don't see how it gets here and it's the invisible this massive invisible workforce that we've got to become more aware of absolutely and there has been uh, a lot of uh, media in mainstream uh, press which has been really good but we're we're still just struggling because you know it's uh, there's a lot of things going on in the world we get that but when 90% of everything is transported by ships then, you know, even though they're not uh, the largest group of, of uh, workers, but they are a very crucial uh, piece in the supply chain. And if you're going to have a disruption to the supply chain, then that's going to affect everyone much more negatively than it has been so far. But they are, you know, the seafarers, they, they don't they don't care if they're defined as key workers. They want to be treated as key workers. So however you define them doesn't really matter. They want to be able to go home. They're, they're just exhausted. And we receive, you know, hundreds of messages a day from seafarers saying, please help us to get home. Unfortunately, a lot of them won't want to identify themselves because they're afraid that 
if they do cause an issue that they're not going to be um, rehired again or even in some cases blacklisted but you know we say to them you have to stand up and if you stand up we will stand with you so and our inspectors and affiliates are doing an amazing job um, trying to get these seafarers home but again you know for everyone that we get get home there's 10 still more stranded in a, a dire situation yeah who maybe who maybe don't know how to who to call they don't know the number to call they don't know how to get themselves out of their situation there'll be a proportion of them who've paid large recruitment fees for their job in the first place who therefore are, are kind of if they do go home having lost their job they've still got to then repay those recruitment fees and so that, that that's another reason why they wouldn't want to come forward and, and stand up and say well seafarers shouldn't be paying recruitment fees so if they stood up and told us that uh they're they owe this manning agent massive recruitment fees then we'd go after that manning agent so is that, we, is, that not, is that not a huge thing amongst seafarers it is um but they're not i think it's less now after the maritime labor convention came in place because there's very clear uh rules in regards to that and a lot of governments have been clamping down on that but we still know that there are the rogue ones that do it yeah. but you know, the, the manning agents are paid for by the company. So the companies work with us saying, we don't want our seafarers, who we've already paid a manning agent to find qualified seafarers, to be having to pay thousands of dollars to get the job in addition. Mm. So, yeah, we, we, we do work on those cases as well. So, Okay, brilliant. So what we're saying is all businesses, wherever they're involved um, in a, in, in a ship, no matter how, you know, even if it's one, two, three steps removed, they need to be bringing their influence to bear to alleviate the, the situation of these three to 400,000 seafarers. And that this is a number that has not gone down since the beginning of the pandemic, has it? No, it hasn't. Um, and, you know, we know, uh, especially multinational companies have massive influence. That's how it is. You know, they have massive influence with governments around the world, um, even if, because what they produce is uh, in one country is providing to the economy in that country. So we want them to use that influence because they have a network that's uh, different from the network we have and to use those contacts and influence so that the governments actually see that, yes, we need to put in place proper procedures and protocols so that the seafarers can be repatriated, that they need to be prioritized. Brilliant, okay, thank you, Jacqueline, that's amazing. Thank you so much for talking to us on World Maritime Day and keep up the great work with ITF and, and let's hope that number starts to go down very soon. Thank you, Francesca. I think that we needed to change the theme uh, from the World Maritime Day to sustainable shipping for sustainable, sustainable seafarers. Yeah, exactly, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thank you so much. Take <laughs> care.